putting in the trebuchets? Are they putting dragon glass or fire in them? Both. In what? The trebuchets? <laughs> Why like, not both? They're like the weird catapults that have yeah. the counterweights. Not the I don't know. What I'm saying is like, whatever they don't like burn and like turn into weapons, why don't they just turn it into sand and just sprinkle it on the battlefield so when they step on it, they go... <laughs> There's a small group of UNT students who are meeting in the lobby of Legends Hall for their weekly Game of Thrones watch party. They're here for the season's third episode, which may also be one of its most anticipated. Though it's actually called The Long Night, most people are calling it the Battle of Winterfell, and it features many of the show's most beloved characters facing off with the Night King, the icy personification of death itself. Each student holds a checklist of characters, and they tap into the dark mentality the show has inspired since it launched in 2011, placing marks beside the ones they think will perish, and holding their breath that, well, maybe they won't. If Brienne dies or Davos dies, and I think Davos is going to die in this next episode, but like, I love him so much. Of course, there's one character most think, or at the very least hope, will survive until the bitter end. The show's notoriously noble hero, Jon Snow. You know, Jon is like a very like well-liked character, but I just, uh, I really enjoy his storyline. I think it's really cute, just the ways he takes after like Ned and, um, Kit Harrington is also just really pretty. <laughs> and while Snow did seem like the destined hero, it was instead, spoiler alert, Arya Stark who struck the final blow. Now, of course, it wouldn't be Thrones without some subverted expectations. This is, after all, what has transformed the show into a full-blown, must-watch, theory-laden tour de force. As of Sunday, the show will be over for good. No more quips from Tyrion, smirks from Cersei, or pain stares from Jon. But does that mean its influence will die with it? In the words of Arya, not today. Because on this first ever episode of UNT Pod, I invite you to join me, Erin Cristalis, and the rest of the University of North Texas family as we mark the end of a much-discussed, often-loved, and sometimes-hated series. Listen along as our faculty experts talk about the show's impact on pop culture, its high points and controversies, and which scenes and characters will live on in infamy. Hi, uh, I'm Harry Benshoff. I'm a professor in media arts here at UNT. Like Tyrion Lannister, Benshoff knows things. And one of those things, as both a scholar and a Thrones fan, is that in the wake of GOT, studios have been, and will no doubt continue to be, more likely to embrace big-budget, character-heavy, universe-building television. I mean, it's just such a rich tapestry and a dense tapestry. And I think we're in an era where that's sort of what the public wants. So we're in this sort of new era of some people calling it another golden age of television that's coming out because of HBO and the streaming things, and there's people willing to take more risks. And Game of Thrones, I think, especially, it's, you know, it's partly a soap opera, <laughs> right? Um, but then it's got all these sort of wonderful fantasy elements that people, you know, always love, whether it's, again, uh, Lord of the Rings or whatever. Um, when you're in a fantasy world, anything can happen. And so it's a very kind of imaginative space and invites fans into it. 
to, you know, think about it and, and speculate and sort of play along with it, if you will. Much of that speculation centered around the Night King and his White Walkers, whose handiwork was glimpsed in the first scene of the pilot episode. It only got gorier, and in some ways a little artsier, throughout the show's run. This is Brian Lane. Uh, hi, my name is Brian Lane. I'm an associate professor in communication studies and the director of debate at the University of North Texas. A GOT fan and award-winning instructor of UNT's Zombies and Rhetoric course. Though Thrones author George R.R. Martin bristles at the description, the icy antagonists do display some quintessential zombie attributes, according to Lane. Um, the author of the books, George R.R. R. Martin, has been asked, uh, are these zombies not just uh, Jon Snow or the character of Beric, um, but also um, the White Walkers, uh, the Night King, all of these things. Now, the uh, George Martin has been uh, definitive that these are not zombies. He says this is a completely separate thing. I would have to respectfully disagree with the author on things. I'm reminded of the scene in which they've built a, a moat of fire around Winterfell, and uh, they, they cross this by sacrificing the lives of uh, the undead. Uh, that's kind of a characteristic zombie thing. They're willing to give an individual in order to, to survive for the whole. That's part of that zombie metaphor in this particular story is there's a collective will at play against several individual wills. Jon Snow, Beric, uh, the Starks, Sansa Stark, Arya Stark. We had all these individuals battling a, a large collective. I've always found the show to be much more interesting on the human level. Um, who's, who's conniving to do what behind who's back? Ben Schaff, like many fans, was happy to see the Night King turn to crushed ice pretty quickly. I think if you ask most people, they would respond to the human level more than the big kind of spectacle thing. It's really about the kind of double crossings and the dirty dealings and, you know, who's who's manipulating whom for what reasons. That's a big part of why Ashley English... Uh, uh, hi, I'm Ashley English. I'm a professor in the political science department. ...has embraced both the show and the books on which it's based. But I always tell people when I'm like, oh, should, you know, people ask, should I watch Game of Thrones? I'm like, well, it's all, it's actually all really about politics. So <laughs> 100%, yes, you should watch, you know, I'm a political scientist. So I, I always like that part. Um, and the, the debates they have about what, you know, power should be and stuff like that is fascinating to me too. One thing they do with the politics that's really kind of true to sort of real world politics in a way is um, the idea that information sort of spreads in these weird ways where not everyone knows what's going on all the time and all this sort of backroom scheming and plotting I think is obviously like heightened because it's a fantasy story but I think there's somewhat of some of that I think reflects what goes on in real politics. Some of the biggest purveyors of those backroom whispers most of whom let's face it have been unceremoniously murdered for their scheming are among Ben Schaff's favorite characters. I tend to like the characters like Littlefinger, like Varys, like Tyrion, who are the ones who are sort of quietly manipulating everything. <laughs> I think they're, they're, they're quiet, you know, manipulators. They're not the ones with the swords, right? Uh, but they, they're using their brains, right? As, as that's, that's their power. And again, I always think that's more interesting than just putting two guys with swords together <laughs> um, because it allows for much more sort of creative, um, well, creative plotting, creative narrative, you know? Uh, again, I get sort of bored with the battle scenes or, 
is just like, well, this is just like championship wrestling now or something. <laughs> I'd much rather, you know, get, get behind the scenes and see how these people are manipulating one another. But leading up to its finale, the show has also tapped into a good deal of fan outrage. Most of that outrage has been tied to protagonist turned tyrant Daenerys Targaryen. English can barely find the words to convey her feelings about the turn of events in the series' penultimate episode. I will admit I'm still sort of sorting through this. Um, I think my gut reaction is that I'm like super disappointed in what they did with her. She's always, I mean, she's always had the capacity for madness and been a little bit crazy, you know, like all of these characters. But I think it's frustrating that the way this played out in the show was like, oh, all of a sudden she snapped and now she's this like crazy hysterical woman, which plays into a lot of kind of crappy gender stereotypes. Before this week, <laughs> uh, you know, before two days ago, I was I had this whole take that was like, well, maybe she's like justifiably pissed off, right? She's got all these advisors who have misled her, right? Uh, talked her down from doing what she wanted to do. Maybe she's just sort of justifiably mad at the patriarchy, right? <laughs> uh, but then she went out and burnt like a million people. <laughs> so um, that's a that's a bummer. <laughs> But Lane argues that kind of unexpected about-face has always been part of Thrones' appeal. Well, it's one of those few um, shows, really few stories, that have such a wide offering of people. People get closely attached to certain characters. Uh, the writing and the storyline makes them really love those characters. And then the writing makes them change their opinions of those characters. And, uh, you know, the, the, the best thing about the show is how much people who are huge fans dislike things that happen in the show and yet they stick with it that's really really telling of course over the years the show has found ways to evoke sympathy for even its most heinous characters take for example jamie lannister's transformation from reviled kingslayer in season one to honorable knight in season eight and then there's a scheming yet weirdly entertaining twin sister cersei who was responsible for one of ben shop's favorite scenes um, I like when they, what was it, when, <laughs> was it Cersei, uh, when she got her revenge back against the sort of, what were they called, the sparrows? That was pretty satisfying. <laughs> 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 and I think that's, I think that's, again, another reason why people enjoy the show. You know, horrible things happen to characters, but then they find a way to turn the tables. And that's gratifying, satisfying, <laughs> at least to audiences like me. But for every character we love to hate, there are those we just love. My personal favorite has always been Arya, who has the heart of a Stark and the brain of a much savvier house. Unlike Danny, I'm not alone. English and Lane also count the youngest Stark daughter as their favorite character. I think she's just the one I relate to the most. Um, I was totally a tomboy growing up. I guess I kind of still am. So I always like that aspect of her, right? I mean, it's sort of hard not to love her right from the beginning when she says, you know, I don't want to just sit inside and sew. I want to go shoot arrows and fight and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Um, I always loved in the previous seasons when we got to see little snippets of what was going on with uh, Arya, her travels uh, around different places and learning from the, um, I don't know if you could call them teachers, so there's something going on there at the hands of the many-faced god and becoming an assassin and uh, being incredibly ruthless and cold-blooded and yet um, I, I think one of the things that draws me to that character is she has a very well-established code um, in this uh, fantasy world where there is so much 
uh, backstabbing, uh, betrayal, and uh, things done purely for political gain. Um, she seems to be a character that really lives by her principles and is unwilling to flinch on those. That's what makes it so tough going into the final episode. No matter how many times the show has made you laugh or cry or wonder how in the heck Danny could have just completely forgotten about the Iron Fleet, R.I.P. Rhaegal, it's hard knowing you won't get to see the characters again or speculate as to what their dialogue or actions might mean. So let's take this opportunity for one final guess. Here's Ben Shaw. Uh, I don't know what I want to happen, quite frankly. Um, you know, again, a lot of the fans are like, you know, they want Jon Snow. Um, other people are like, well, he's never really done all that much. He's never really been that successful, but he's been held up as this kind of figure. Um, now he has the bloodline, right? Or he has the lineage, so he has the right to the throne. Um, hmm. <laughs> but who will end up on the Iron Throne? I think Arya should, maybe. I don't know. English, on the other hand, is pulling for a Sansa Stark victory. I actually, I'm kind of at a loss. I fully thought that this was going to end. Like, before the season started, I think I thought that Jon was going to die tragically somehow. Probably by trying to save Danny or something, and then Danny was going to melt the throne down. And then they were going to maybe have democracy. I don't think that's really going to happen now. <laughs> Part of me thinks that Arya might take out Danny um, after, I mean, after that harrowing journey she made out of King's Landing. I think that might kind of make sense. Uh, John, I definitely think, is going to go back north. He might die, too. He, he doesn't seem like, he sort of feels like a character that has a death wish. Um, <laughs> Especially since he's come back to life, right? Um, so I guess that's part of how I hope. This is maybe this is me trying to justify my I hope Sansa ends up on top theory. But I think, I think the throne is going to be gone, because not really much of anything is left in King's Landing at this point. And Lane is hopeful the show will do what it's always done. My own, I wouldn't call it a prediction. I'm just reading exactly the same things that everyone else is. That uh, politics is going to be to the foreground. I think we haven't seen the last of these family conflicts. And I'm reminded uh, in using that word, that's also uh, something that comes up in the zombie storyline. Uh, family is a big theme um, that happens. Uh, we could go back to many different stories. Um, a great example of the importance of families in uh, Robert Kirkland's The Walking Dead. Uh, we got several families, um, the way that they interact with others. So we still got some unresolved issues between the Starks the Targaryens, uh, there might be a Lannister out there. Um, I think not, you know, among the rubble, but not covered over. Um, we still have a, a game afoot. But it may be sophomore Macy Albert, who organizes the Legends Hall watch parties and is attending the Battle of Winterfell in a Game of Thrones shirt that bears all the house sigils, who sums up the likely ending best. They're going to break our hearts. <laughs> That's the whole point, I guess. Thanks for listening to UNT Pod. Before your final watch begins, feel free to tell us about your favorite Game of Thrones characters or moments by connecting with us on Twitter at UNT Social or on Instagram at UNT.